as one theologian said, nothing matters but the kingdom. But because of the kingdom, everything, literally everything, matters. In our text this morning, which we will read in just a couple of moments, we see Jesus talking about some of the things that because of the kingdom of God matter. His discussion of the values of the kingdom takes place in the middle of a scathing rebuke of the scribes and the Pharisees over their hypocrisy and their replacing the word of God with their own set of rules and regulations. So after this scene is over, we see thousands of people literally falling all over each other trying to get to Jesus. Jesus will soon speak to the crowd, but before he does, he has some words for his disciples. Some words about things that matter, the values of the kingdom of God. So would you join me as we read the scriptures together? The text is Luke chapter 12. Verses 1 through 7, you'll find it on page 870, and uh, we used to call them pew bibles, so now that we have chairs, uh, I still call them pew bibles because I just can't bring myself to say chair bibles. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, you'd like to follow with me. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people hang out together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And when you have whispered in private rooms, or whatever you have whispered in private rooms, shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are much more valuable than many sparrows. Well, as we've already noted, Jesus is talking to his disciples about things that matter. Things that matter a lot. The values of the kingdom. So uh, let's identify them as we go through uh, the text a little more carefully. The first kingdom value is authenticity. The world is hungry for authenticity. Hypocrisy is everywhere, even among religious people. Some would say, especially among religious people. This is why Jesus is emphasizing the danger of hypocrisy with his disciples. We come to uh, verse 1. Let's look at that closely. I can't get this to advance. Here we go. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another, uh, 
began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven, the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Well, one reason Jesus pauses and speaks to the disciples before he speaks to this crowd with their thousands of people, they're trampling all over each other, trying to get within earshot of Jesus. They can't wait to hear what he has to say next. And before Jesus goes out to meet with the crowd who has come to hear him, he wants to take a little time with his disciples, probably more than just the uh, 12, uh, probably the uh, larger group of, of disciples um, that were following him. Um, so anyway, uh, Jesus wants to know, he wants to tell his disciples, he wants them to know that their lives matter to him. And he also wants to know that the lives of the crowd were out there, they matter to him. And because we are in the company of his disciples, he wants us to know that we also matter to him. Our lives matter. And what we do matters. And this is precisely why Jesus has a discussion with the disciples regarding hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy is contagious. It doesn't take a whole lot of hypocrisy to get in and do its work. He compares hypocrisy to leaven. He says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, we know leaven to be yeast. And so when you look in the scriptures, you'll find uh, leaven, sometimes it's used to illustrate how evil can um, get mixed into something, say, uh, as yeast gets mixed into a, a, a lump of dough to make bread. Not to say the bread is evil or anything like that. It's just illustrating uh, the, the effectiveness of just a, a little bit of this element. Uh, but in Scripture, it's also used in a positive sense to, to say how it doesn't really take a, a whole lot of, of good to... Uh, well, a whole lot of action in order to do something really good. So uh, just keep that in mind. He's talking about a small bit of something that has a tremendous effect. It's silent. It's invisible once it gets worked in. Uh, but when it gets spread through the dough, you know, the whole dough is affected by that. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be on guard because hypocrisy uh, the leaven of the Pharisees is something that could affect you. And if it affects you, it's going to affect the people that you're going to be ministering to. So make sure uh, that you live authentic lives. Because if you live the same kind of lives that the Pharisees did, even though they appear to be very religious, it's the wrong kind of religion. You don't get to be right with God by replacing his word with a set of your own rules and regulations, which is what the uh, Pharisees were doing. So uh, Jesus wants them to be very, very sure uh, that they live authentic lives. And isn't that what he's saying to us today as well? Again, the world is hungry to see authentic lives. It's not that people are maybe so opposed to the message of the Bible uh, that sometimes uh, they look at uh, the, the people of Jesus and uh, 
they conclude that our walk doesn't match our talk, and so uh, they tend to discount uh, what the, the Bible has to say. But Jesus knows that the hypocrisy of the Pharisees is not something that's unique to, to them. Uh, we are all vulnerable to the temptations to appear to be someone better than we really are, or someone more successful than we really are, or smarter than we really are, or more righteous than we really are. Jesus doesn't tear into the Pharisees so that we can come to church on Sunday morning and say, Thank God I'm not like one of those Pharisees. Remember that time in Scripture where Jesus is talking about some Pharisee who goes to pray and he says, God, I thank you that I am not like this tax collector here. Uh, so Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples don't do the same sort of thing and go into church and say, God, I thank you that no matter how many bumps I have, at least I'm not like the Pharisees. So, uh, He's just saying that this is something that can easily slip in, just like yeast does into bread or to the dough. So uh, let's be sure that we understand what Jesus is saying to his followers. He's saying that everyone who follows him is just as vulnerable to the temptation to make ourselves look better than uh, we really are as the Pharisees were. You know, you can't make yourself righteous by pretending to be righteous. You can't clean the outside of the cup and leave the inside of the cup dirty and have it be thoroughly clean. To seem to be is one thing. To actually be is another. You can't effectively deal with sin by covering it up. Only Jesus and effectively deal with sin. Pretending to be right with God or appearing to be right with God doesn't cover sin. It only inoculates us to the gospel of grace. So do not be a hypocrite, Jesus is saying. Don't just appear to be an authentic man or woman or child of God. Be one. Be real. Be a genuine believer. Be an authentic Christian. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, Jesus says in verse 1. And then in verse 2, he reinforced that uh, when he says this. And verse 2, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Be careful not to have a deceitful life, he says. Any attempt to maintain some facade of righteousness that is not authentic will most certainly be exposed. Remember how Adam and Eve uh, tried to handle their problem once they sinned? The uh, first thing they tried to do was to cover it up. So after they were sinned, after they sinned, they realized they were naked, they felt shame. Then they attempted an inadequate cover-up with fig leaves. The next thing they did in response to their shame was to hide. They wanted to get away from the presence of God. They didn't want God to be able to see what they had done. 
And all of us have things about ourselves that we are ashamed of and don't want others to know about. So we pretend that those things are really not part of our character. You may be uh, aware of scenes sometimes in movies or television or in the news where someone uh, has been apprehended for having done something really bad, uh, like hurt someone or even um, stolen from someone or caused someone uh, a lot of uh, a lot of pain or a lot of problems and he or she may say something like this this isn't who I am I know it looks like this is who I am but this really isn't who I am yeah but you did it <laughs> so therefore this is really who you are but we tell ourselves that a sinful nature or certainly a, a, a hypocritical uh, posture in life is not part of our character. And this is why Jesus says to his disciples, and he says it for two reasons. In the first place, he says, this leaven of the Pharisees can destroy you. And in the second place, all attempts to conceal our sin will ultimately be futile because everything that is currently covered will be revealed, he says. And there is nothing that is hidden that will not be made known. So this is the first kingdom value and Jesus lists the things that matter. It's uh, authenticity. But now I want to go to the second value of the kingdom that matters so much, and that is justice. And uh, verse 3. Get there? Here we go. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Uh, a lot of Christians have the misguided idea that Christians uh, won't have to worry about judgment day. And uh, they assume that it's only the, you know, the pagans or the Pharisees that have anything to fear. And the, the reasoning goes like this, uh, you know, we have all passed from judgment uh, to life, and uh, we know that one of the benefits of our justification is that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and of death, and that is absolutely true. But there's another part of the equation that Jesus is, is talking about here. Uh, the Bible uh, does say in uh, Romans 14 that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what does that mean? There are several places where the, the judgment seat of Christ is mentioned. Uh, the, the Greek word for judgment seat is bema. It comes from the, the games in the days of antiquity, uh, similar to our Olympic games now, where there be contests of athleticism, uh, mostly uh, running and other track and field events. But when uh, an event uh, had concluded and a winner was declared, before that winner would receive the wreath of the crown of glory, uh, he would have to go to the bank or the judgment seat 
and there it would be determined whether he had followed the rules. The contemporary equivalent would be uh, after there's been uh, a contest, uh, say, of, of, of running uh, however uh, 10,000 meters or however long it is, uh, they would be subject to a drug test to see if indeed they have played by the rules. So we might say something here, uh, you know, we, we must all pass the, the test that will prove our authenticity that we actually uh, played by the, the rules. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 tells us uh, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So in context, it's clear that the both passages refer to Christians and not unbelievers. The judgment seat of Christ, therefore, involves believers giving an account of their lives to Christ. In other words, not only does your life matter, but what you do in your life matters. The judgment, is, judgment seat of Christ does not determine salvation. That was determined by Christ's sacrifice on our behalf uh, on the cross and our faith in him. But in the final judgment, the character of every person will clearly be revealed. Now, is that a happy thought or a scary thought? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But just to give you some insight, uh, I'll have to say my default position is, and this is a scary thought, judgment uh, seems to indicate, uh, you know, I'm going to be fined or I'm going to be found guilty of something and have to pay a penalty. And, uh, you know, that's kind of scary. But you know, there's another side of judgment. Now going back to the Olympic Games or something, where where uh, you know the winner is not so much uh, an objective uh, determination. You know, the fastest person crosses the line first. Well, you know who the winner is, and then you can always look at the pictures and the, the videotape and see uh, who actually won if it's really close. But and so things like gymnastics or ice skating, things like that, where the, the judging is subjective, uh, it's going to be in the minds of a panel of judges you know, who actually won that particular contest. So it's uh, in in this context that you know judgment uh, can, can can certainly cause a little bit of anxiety while you await the. The decision of the, the the judges, but when they make the pronouncement of who the winner is, you're really happy uh, about that judgment. So you know, there's two ways of looking at judgment. Uh, you know, sometimes one person will take another person to a court uh, and sue for damages uh, because of uh, you know injury or damage done or something even worse, and so when. Uh, the, the, the court gives, uh, pronounces its judgment, and they find in your favor, and you were awarded damages, a judgment to you is a good thing, and not a bad thing. The encouragement I want us to find here 
is that judgment uh, in the context of we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ is that uh, the Lord God will reveal to us how much our lives matter. You know, when we die and uh, our body stays here and our spirit, the immaterial part of us, goes to heaven, uh, we might think, well, that's it. But there is going to come a time when the Lord Jesus himself will return in bodily form and uh, you know, all the books will be opened and so forth. And it will not be until everything is all over with before you will know just how much influence you had in this world. If you can influence one person, you will influence another person and another generation, generation after that, and so it can go for uh, well, you really don't know how, perhaps until the end of time itself. But Jesus is saying, everything that he's saying here in this section is to encourage us to know that we are important. Our lives are important. And how we live our lives is important. And to indicate that, he's saying there's going to come a time where you're going to see uh, all of the, the benefits, all of the good that came as a result of what you did while you were here on the earth. All right, so, have I successfully convinced some of you to not be scared and to actually be a little uh, you know, looking forward to the, the end of times when there is a, a, a judgment to declare uh, just how effective uh, you have represented Christ on earth? Uh, well, if not, Let's go to the third concept of justice, which leads us naturally. Well, I mean, the third, uh, the third value of the kingdom uh, is the concept of, of justice, uh, which is uh, given to us here in the terms of the fear of the Lord. And uh, verse four here, I tell you, my friends. Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. All right, so now I spent a little bit of time trying to get you away from being scared to feeling hopeful. And now here we go back into fear again. We wonder what Jesus is saying. Is his message getting across? It seems uh, from the, the tone we pick up uh, from these uh, words that he just spoke in, in verse 5 that uh, this is scary stuff. So let me ask you, what emotion do you feel when you read these verses? Great assurance or a warm, fuzzy feeling all over? Probably not the latter. Uh, probably not either one of those. Probably more likely to feel frightened or dismayed or distressed. Now, in our way of thinking, God is God of love. In fact, we are told in Scripture that there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. So, why does Jesus tell us to fear God? 
Why should anyone be afraid of God who loves them unconditionally? That the fear of God is a value of the kingdom. It is a value that most American Christians seem to have lost or never have. Some like to define the fear of God as showing reverence or awe for God. And that's good as far as it goes. But the word Jesus uses for fear in verses 4 and 5 is not the word reverence or the word awe. It is the word fear. This means God is not your path. He's not your buddy. He's not your chum. He is the Lord God Almighty. The Apostle John, there was no one closer to Jesus than the Apostle John. But when we get to Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John sees the Lord. He describes him in graphic terms. Here's just a synopsis of what he says. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His voice is like the sound of many roaring waters. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And how did John respond? Hey, Jesus, long time no see. <laughs> My main man, uh, it's great to see you again. Does he have that kind of reaction? Uh, and here's how John reacted. In uh, verse uh, 17 of Revelation 1, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. In other words, he's scared to death, or nearly to death. The kingdom of God is ruled by a just and a holy creator for whom we should have fear. But we don't fear God. We fear strong people who might crush our spirits, or criminals who might do bodily harm to us, or even kill us. In fact, uh, you know, our government spends millions upon millions uh, trying to protect us against people who want to do harm to us physically, or uh, even, to, even to the point of killing us. But Jesus says, don't be afraid of these guys. Don't be afraid of them. The worst that people can do to you is kill you. After that, there's something more they can do to you. Are you encouraged by that? <laughs> Didn't really think so. So uh, I want to relate a, a story to you that I uh, read in a book by uh, uh, Dale Davis. He reports an incident that took place uh, soon after uh, the, the Communist Revolution in uh, 1917. And uh, this particular incident happened a few years after that. So uh, the old uh, Russian nation or the monarch uh, had been overthrown and uh, the Soviets, uh, the Communists uh, came in and uh, everybody knew it their way. One of the things they did first was to round up um, Christian leaders and bring them in for interrogation. So one day they uh, brought in a, a pastor uh, by the name of Cornelius Martin Martins and um, brought him in, already boss, uh, ordered a couple of blankets there to rip the clothes off uh, pastor. And the pastor said, there's no need for that. Don't, don't trouble yourself. I'll just, I'll just do it myself. 
uh, it was standard practice uh, to humiliate people that you were about to execute uh, by making them feel uh, subhuman or uh, exposed, shameful. Uh, pastor said, uh, I'm not afraid to die. Um, if I die today, I'll go home to be with the Lord. But if the Lord has determined that my home or my hour has not come, uh, there's nothing you can do to me. Now, this drove the Communist Party boss uh, into a livid rage. And so he pulled out his revolver, oops, pulled out his revolver and aimed it right at Pastor Martin's head. And the pastor just stood there waiting. And pretty soon the Communist Party boss uh, began to tremble like that. <laughs> Finger was on the trigger, but it wasn't moving. It was frozen. Then his whole body began to shake and to tremble as though something uh, was, was happening to him. And finally, after not being able to pull the trigger, he finally said to Pastor Martins, Get out of here and don't ever come back. It is nice to know that when you've given your life to Christ, whether you live or whether you die, all that really matters is that Christ is glorified. It's nice to know that your life is important to Jesus. And what you do with your life is important to Him. So whether we do it over a short period of years or a longer period of years, doesn't really matter as long as Christ is glorified in our lives. This is what Jesus is wanting to communicate to His disciples by teaching them these values before He has something of great import to say. And that's something, something we've been saying all the way through is your life is important. I want us to look at verse, uh, verses uh, six and seven here. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are of more value than many sparrows. Well, in the context of what we have read and investigated, do these words not seem kind of strange and odd? I mean, we go back and look at the context and hear Jesus is talking about, uh, um, no, don't fear the ones who can kill your body, uh, rather fear him who can uh, kill both body and soul and hell, and uh, that's a, a very sobering thing to say. And the next thing Jesus says is, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And uh, one of them, not one of them, is for forgotten before God, and that the very hairs of your head are numbered, and you are more valuable than sparrows. Well, you know, when you can buy 
five sparrows for two pennies. Uh, that's pretty cheap. Um, Jesus wants his disciples to know something. He says, look, if, if God cares about sparrows, if he cares about something that doesn't really have you know, much value at all, he really cares about these little birds, then please be aware that he cares so much more for you. So in the first verse, um, going back uh, to the uh, beginning of this uh, chapter, the first verse, we see Jesus strongly warning his disciples about hypocrisy. Then he warns them, whatever they say in private will be, will be proclaimed from the housetops or the rooftops. And in those days, uh, that, that term, you know, shouting from the rooftops, uh, means to uh, publicly make known. So uh, today, the way things are publicly made known, it could be through media, uh, radio, TV, or through social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and such as that. So what Jesus is saying here, that whatever someone says in private will be proclaimed from the housetops. And you know that when somebody... Uh, who is a celebrity, particularly a celebrity pastor, uh, falls, uh, that gets into the news media very, very quickly. So this is part of the reality of life. And then he goes on to advise his disciples to not be afraid of those who can kill you, but instead to fear God who has authority both to kill and to cast someone into into hell. He says, yes, I tell you, fear him. And now, watch as Jesus abruptly seems to change gears. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Why the sudden, abrupt change in tone here? What, what do you make of this apparently hidden change of tone? This boots swing, apparently. Well, Jesus is not displaying some kind of bipolar behavior. In verses 6 and 7, uh, the Lord clearly lets me know that the message uh, that he is communicating is that you are important to God. That he cares for you. That he is tightly connected to all of the other values of authenticity, of justice, and of fearing God. That's why it seems so abrupt here, but yet it's part of the, of, of the unit of verses. We got the discussion about hypocrisy and the need for authenticity. And uh, then we talk about judgment, which is really uh, a discussion of, of justice and the fear of God. And, and these things seem to be uh, just a bit ominous, maybe a, a little dark for us. And then the next thing you know, Jesus is talking about caring for little birds and how the hairs of our and are numbered. And uh, we wonder what's up with that. Well, all of these kingdom values, the authenticity, the, the justice, the fear of the Lord, uh, work together with God's care for us to let us know that our lives matter. And what we do with our lives matters a lot. But here's something else. About time to wrap it up. At the time Jesus spoke these words that 
uh, about the sparrows, uh, you know, five sparrows for two minutes. Now that's cheaper than any economy. Jesus says that God is so meticulous that he doesn't forget about the sparrows. And if God cares deeply about a little bird whose value is less than a penny, think about how much he cares for you. Do you know how valuable you are to God? Well, more than a sparrow, that's for sure. But just how valuable are you to him? What would he pay to buy you, to redeem you from sin? You know the answer to that. He paid the ultimate price, the life of his son, who died the most torturous death that any of us could imagine. The Son of God did that for you. And now you know just how much your life matters to you. But there's one more thing that you need to know. Your life and what you do with your life matters. Our Father, as we consider the words of your son that Luke has reported for us this morning. We are grateful to know that our lives do matter, that you do care for us. And it's good for us to know that we all have an impact one way or another. We are encouraged to know that the impact that we have on the world and our little core, wherever it may be, will have an effect for years to come, generations to come. Encourage us with the knowledge, with the truth, that our lives matter, what we do with them also matters through Christ our Lord we pray.